And I'm Karen Wright. It is 932. I have a very special segment today that I'm going to do before Barb Lamson, Master Gardener, and I chat about gardening. And I talked with a master arborist. And so we're going to talk about that, how that will, uh, how the drought this summer is going to be impacting our fall leaves and how it's going to be impacting how we should care for our trees and shrubs this fall and into winter. So here we go. Good morning. I have a special guest this morning. His name is Tyler Hesseltine, and he is a master arborist from Davy Tree. He's a district manager. Good morning, Tyler. Good morning. Good to talk to you. Say, I am curious how things are going to look for fall. I've noticed a lot of my trees have lost some leaves already. They've browned, and I think a lot of that's due to drought. How is this drought we've had and all the hot weather going to impact our fall colors? It will have an impact in Probably, as most people would expect, it's going to be a little negative in that a lot of trees, if they've had a a harsh growing season, one of their defense mechanisms is to actually go ahead and go into dormancy early. So we will see a lot of trees before the, you know, cool evenings that will ripen up those colors. They'll actually defoliate some as just kind of a preparation and forfeiture of this whole season. They'll say, you know, it's been dry, it's been hot, and I kind of want to be done with this year. And so we won't get the, that same vibrancy or at least the same volume in color, I think, this year as we would maybe in, in previous summers or previous falls. So will we see an earlier color change than normal years? Yes. We don't want to see earlier colors in our trees because that decision to go dormant earlier can be a sign of stress, not just maybe from the, the hot, dry summer, but also from other conditions extending from the roots or from pest infestations or diseases that cropped up through the season. So we might see an, an, an earlier peak this year, but also I think just less voluminous as far as the overall amount of leaf leaves and color there will be out there. What exactly causes it? So as the daylight shortens, the number of, of actual daylight, it will cause or trigger uh, hormonal changes within the plant and it will quit producing the chlorophyll, that pigment that it's photosynthesizing with. So the green disappears as a result of not producing chlorophyll any longer. But some of those other uh, pigments, the anthocyanins and the carotenoids and those other really valuable metabolic chemicals in the leaves stay and persist. So as they fade from green, as the chlorophyll production dissipates, these other rich tannins and other colors will, will kind of, they'll be on display They've been there the whole season, but now really without the chlorophyll production, we get we get to see them in their in their full splendor. And what causes different trees to be different colors? We always know that the sumac are going to turn red and certain other trees turn yellow, for example. What is it that determines that? Just like all of this different tree species have different assortments of different types of these chemicals or pigments. So we know that maples uh, are often rich in anthocyanin, and so that creates the bright reds, and the carotenoids make oranges. We know that oaks are more tannin-rich. You know, oak wood is often used for barreling, for barrels for wine, and for fermenting liquors. Well, those, the tannins that make it valuable for that barrel also makes it give us those browns, those deep kind of richer brown uh, and yellow hues as well. So it's really the specific chemical makeup of the species that makes it trend toward 
the reds or the yellows or the browns or the oranges. So some of those trees I've seen along boulevards, for example, that are already turned brown and their leaves look like they're crispy and haven't fallen off, are those probably dead? Yeah, the ones that where the leaves are hanging on the tree and they're in that scorched state, it's unlikely that they produced a viable bud that will now also survive the fall, the cold, harsh winter, and then come out next spring. You may be able to scrape into that sapwood and say, well, I see green sapwood or there's some moisture here, but really moisture within the wood will persist even if the tree is entirely dead for several months, but you wouldn't likely expect to see all of those trees budding out in the spring because they still have to survive putting out buds and then having them persist through a normal Minnesota winter, whatever winter we're, we're going to have. Because of the drought and the weather this year, are you anticipating a lot of die-off of trees in general or bushes, etc.? You know, the next four to six weeks will be very telling whether or not we get any sort of significant recharging of moisture. We generally do in the fall as air temperature drops, the moisture demands will drop, but we really need some some September and October rains to revitalize these plants, to push that moisture out into the, for that kind of final hardening off. I would expect that if we have a, an average or a drier than average fall, particularly our evergreens, our spruce, our pines, our conifers in general, who are more vul- vulnerable to overwintering injury, since they don't drop all of their foliage, we will see probably a significant amount of winter injury coming into next spring. What can we all do to ensure the best health of our trees coming into fall after this drought year? Especially on high value landscape trees and shrubs, making sure that they get ample water and ample moisture, not just over the next couple weeks, but really until the ground actually freezes hard. So the younger, less established plant material you have, if you've got, you know, trees planted or shrubs planted this year within the last one or two years, they're obviously more susceptible than, you know, your large established shade trees. But high value plant material, I would, I would really recommend trying to find a way to get them some supplemental watering. It would be really helpful. And how do we do that? Is it a matter of you take a five-gallon bucket of water and say this is enough? Because for some big trees, for example, it's hard to know what they need. It is. And and watering large mature trees in general is, is difficult. And, you know, mm-hmm. each, I would say there's no golden rule in in my book other than find a way to, you know, get two to three inches, get moisture into the ground under the drip line of your tree or shrub and get it so where water it long enough that two to three inches below the grade is actually getting wet so so the moisture is percolating down through the soil and preferably doing it late in the day, early evening, because that's when that moisture in the cool soil without the sunlight coming in to cause evaporation really it can it can percolate into the into the root system of those trees so late afternoon watering getting as much moisture in and under that drip line of the tree is is really kind of crucial and you know there's different sizes and shapes of trees but that's kind of a a go-to is is under the drip line of that tree do you have any hints that we could look for if, if some of our tree might not be going to make it through next year so we can cut our losses maybe and take it out and replant this fall that is a good question i i more often hear individuals trying to say well it doesn't hurt in waiting and in that regard i do somewhat agree but i i would say have if, if you're not sure, have a certified arborist uh, stop at your property, kind of look at what, review what you've got going on, 
what you might want to install instead. I guess I would say first check to see if buds are set for next year, if it's a deciduous tree. If there are green buds that seem swollen, that seem, they don't seem ashen gray, they have the right pigment or color for that particular species, then it's probably going to come back next. Anything else you think is important, Tyler, for us to know for trees as we go into fall? This is a very good season, even though it has been dry. As the trees kind of prepare for winter, there's a lot that we can do for them, a lot that we should do for them on small diameter trees that are susceptible to maybe antlers from bucks in where there are deer. You might want to wrap those or put on, on repellents. You can wrap smooth bark trees in the late fall to protect them from winter injury, obviously providing ample moisture if Mother Nature isn't going to do it. Anti-desiccant applications can also help reduce moisture loss. There's really an arsenal or a toolkit that, that certified arborists can put together for you to help manage or mitigate your losses after a hot, dry summer like this. So I would just say reach out to a certified arborist see what your goals are and see if there's something we can do to put the best foot forward coming into another harsh another harsh season, which is our, our fall and winter. Well, I appreciate all your tips and I'm sad to hear that our fall season won't be as glorious, but there's always next year. <laughs> yeah, thanks for your time. Thank you so much. I have the honor. Good morning. I have a special guest this morning. All right, there we go. Hearing from a certified master arborist, like we're master gardeners, as somebody that does special training for a long time and learns about it, it's great to hear those tips. Yes, thank you. And so now Barb and I, we're going to talk other gardening things. Yes, we are. Hey, Karen, before we start, you know, um, so often we have great events going on in our communities and we forget the hardworking people that make these things possible. Last weekend, I was at the Rock Bend Festival in St. Peter. Oh, wonderful. And went on a, a Saturday night, listened to some beautiful music, a beautiful, absolutely gorgeous night, families there, children jumping around and, and uh, dancing to the music and the uh, sights and sounds and the smells of food. They always have those vendors there that are selling this food, which makes it it seems so much better, but one of the people that's been active with them from the beginning uh, is Chris Higginbotham. Right, yeah. A talented artist, and I know there are other people too, but I just happen to know her, so uh, sending out our thanks to them. It's a free event. It draws thousands and thousands of people. They said 10,000, I believe. Yeah, and last year they didn't have it because of COVID. Right. So that was an excellent event that we went to, and then Sunday, we had tickets to go to a benefit for the Blue Earth County Historical Society, and that was to tour the bed and breakfast, which is the Moulin Rouge. Oh. The Moulin Rouge house is a Victorian house, and it's uh, it, it, it's been saved uh, by this couple who's just passionate about history and about doing this. And uh, it, it has a great history. Mr. Hunt, who was the owner and editor of the Free Press, this was his home for a number of years until he and his wife went to Alaska. But the house, because a family, the last family that lived there, they there had been three generations of them and the mother and the daughter had their beauty shop in the front 
parlor and it was they named it the Moulin Rouge and that's why the house today is known as the Moulin Rouge. Now what is the address of that if people want to? It's on 2nd Street Okay. and the address is um, let me see if I can find it for you. Oh gosh. Um, it's right it's a block down from the Bethlehem Lutheran oh, okay. Church, so if that helps you Something at all. worth checking out. And I found it. 811 South 2nd Street. It is beautiful. It's available for um, parties and special events like that. They also have three uh, master suites that you can rent. Oh, uh, just, so like a bed and breakfast. It is a bed and breakfast, yes. And the restoration is, is amazing. You'll see things in there that you don't normally see in Victorian homes. You have to go to maybe Chicago or someplace like that where these uh, houses were built. Mr. Hunt was part of uh, uh, some of the activities, booking places for the Chicago World's Fair. And when he saw this curved window, and this is what's such an amazing thing, we don't usually see curved bay windows with leaded glass on top. And he bought this from the French Pavilion. The French were there uh, from Paris, and they were, this was one of their big things, and he bought this and had it shipped to Mankato, which I guess was a big to-do here, and had it installed in this tour. It's absolutely fabulous. So that's the original window then? That is, but and they had a local glassmaker here that was able to help them with the restoration and repair uh, some of this leaded glass. So that it has that history in itself, and all the floors had been protected with uh, linoleum. So the floors are hardwood, and and they are shaped into designs. Oh, Just neat. great. They pulled off the linoleum, and there it was. So <clears throat> what a treasure! What a treasure! Another thing that people would come to Mankato to see. It's just amazing. If you're not if you're not staying there or not thinking about a bed and breakfast, but if you love architecture, go down to Second Street and take a look at it. The colors that they've chosen are just outstanding. Just we know outstanding. because we have the, of course the Hubbard House, which is a yes. beautiful old historic home, and they have made the gardens around that just uh, amazing. I'm wondering if with the Moulin Rouge, if they're going to be doing some fancy or maybe some, I guess, era-specific gardening. Yes. You know, the uh, Hubbard House had a lot of space because they had the carriage house and had the grounds there for that. This, it's pretty much like a city lot, although it's deep. Now, behind it, there is the horse barn where um, Hunt kept his carriages and his horses. And um, uh, Chris was saying, the owner, that that's the next project that he thinks he'll take on. They have restored the porches and things. And uh, just they're, the when you see spindles on a porch, that kind of trim, these are sp- they're circles and and uh, and and um, just lines. They're just very, very different. They're very ornate, and that too was saved simply because it had been enclosed mm. and not open, so it didn't weather. So it's an amazing 
And kudos to those people who are saving, you know, a lot of times we hear complaints about we're getting, tearing all the old history down, but kudos to those who are preserving that and making it, you know, so all of us can enjoy that. Yes, exactly. And so now my attention is turning to my plants. And, you know, talking about restoring and saving things, I'm having to choose if they're those house plants that I want to bring inside. Um, for example, the geraniums, which are a house plant, they can't, they're an annual, they can't right. survive our winters here. So if they've done really well for you, maybe that's something that you would want to bring inside. I've noticed in my yard now that the geraniums, which had, you know, they have like 25 blooms on them at a time, they're doing less and less of that. Right. As the as the sun, daylight gets shorter yes. and the, the days get cooler. Now, I had kind of a cool thing. It was I, I considered almost a little miracle. My hardy hibiscus this morning had a bloom on it. I've never had a bloom that late. In fact, Jeff last night said, look, there's a bud on that. And of course, they'd pretty much been done the end of August. Sure. And so I have one. It's a small, not as glorious as the big 9, 10 inches. It's more like, oh, maybe 5 inches. But talk about sometimes plants will surprise you. And, and I think this cooler... <laughs> Sure. Uh, weather with the rain has has certainly helped yes. a little bit. And I have some trees coming in the mail that were supposed to have come this spring, and I was supposed to have planted them, but the company actually lost my order. <laughs> so they're shipping them. So I'm expecting a couple of dwarf ginkgos. Oh, my. That'll be fun. And I've got... Uh, another ginkgo for my sister-in-law she wants to plant in front of her condo they have to get permission so i've already called 811 because you have to call before you dig and i've taken cardboard and put cardboard down on the turf so i've killed the grass off so i can now and then i'll add some compost and so that's what i'll be doing um well as soon as i come hopefully next week yeah right you know um, it's a great time to plant trees by the way it oh i I have a ginkgo and i absolutely love it i have watched them grow big at the arboretum and and can't believe how what a big big tree that's going to be but what a beautiful thing so um i was also going to mention that if you have true house plants outside that you put out because they needed maybe um well, the humidity. And you the just rain. wanted to, frankly, have some room in the house. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they do so much better. Yeah. Um, and I have a hardy um, uh, plant that it, it's a terrestrial orchid. So it doesn't grow in, in like, uh, in the. On the bark, it grows in soil itself. But so it, real, I mean, actual soil, or is that yeah, that special? To, no, oh, okay. no, it's actual soil, and so it has to come in. And that, um, what I did was, I took it from. It was in an open space outside, and I brought it into my greenhouse. And the first thing I did was to check the roots. If you've had plants outside, it's best to check the roots and see if they've started to circle in the pot. And if that, so you should actually slide them out and look <coughs> physically that's right. look at them. That's exactly right. And then you should repot them. Just go one pot. How bigger. do you make sure I, you, know, you don't have critters and things? Because I've I've seen things on on Facebook and in some of the plant sites where somebody says they all of a sudden they look and there has been some little toad or a little something you know that has obviously harbored itself in in that pot because it's been outside and all of a sudden they're shocked sure. or surprised. So how do you ensure maybe you don't? Because okay. you don't want to bring those in the yeah. house. Well, you know I have this. Um, it's a um, a barrel that was. 50 gallons and we cut it in two and we use it along with our rain barrels and I dip water out of there. 
Well, what I do this time of the year is I take these plants and I wash them off in that rain, half a rain barrel. And then you get down, you see the bare roots. And if there's anything... Well, so you, you actually wash the dirt right <clears throat> out? Yeah, yeah, you oh. do. You just, just plunge it in and out very carefully. Okay. And uh, sometimes night crawlers somehow get in there. Sure. So you want to get those out too. And then put it into, you know, shake it off really well, examine the leaves, then put it in a fresh pot. With new soil? With new soil, absolutely. Now, does that set it back a little? Because, I mean, anytime you're going to, I would think, but... Well, if you do it early enough now, so... So now would be a time, good time? Yes, yes. You can put it into a protected place so it's still outside, but it has protection at night. Um, it's going to take right off. Because it, I've got a Monstera philodendron that I've had out all summer under the tree, and I'm just wondering, I don't, I'm trying to, it had a disease, but it had that scale. And oh, so, terrible stuff. So that's why I'm wondering if I should even bother, because inside I had it here at the, the station, and I was like, well, I'm going to just leave it outside. It doesn't appear to have scale on it, but I'm guessing it's probably still there. Would that, what do you yeah, think? Yeah, yeah. Well, I wouldn't, if I brought it in, I would isolate it, but first I would wash it with really good soapy water. Should I just take it out of its complete soil and just... I would definitely do that, yes, but wash every single leaf. You're going to have to take, uh, you know, something small with soap and water on it and go underside, topside, go down the vein particularly onto the stem of the leaf and... and Or should I just take and cut my losses and... Um, Throw it away. If I wasn't in love with it and I had plenty of other plants, I might just do that. It just depends on how much time you want to spend with it. Well, and that's part of the thing with, with, I'm not an expert on houseplants. And my sister, she now, she got a lemon tree, you know, just a little twig or whatever. She's starting to get lemons on it. Oh, yes. She's grown, I can't even tell you how many pineapples from, you know, after you eat a pineapple. Yes. And you can start your own in like a little water. She has actually gotten pineapples that she's been able to eat. It takes about five years, she said before you get a little pineapple, but she's done so many. And yes. so I told her, you know, I may be the outside expert on plants, but right. she's my indoor. And she said, maybe I should get a greenhouse. I said, that's a great idea. I'm going to bring all my house plants and give them to you. <laughs> there you go. There you go. It is it is different raising house plants. I mean, they require, you know, the same amount of elements to grow in that. But watching them, they're, they're, it's not as hardy as a plant that's going to be outside for uh, maybe three months. And I think it's harder to grow house plants myself because <clears throat> yeah, with the light <clears throat> issues and the humidity issues and I mean yeah, nature does a better job. Right, right, yeah. right. That's exactly right because that's where they start is in tropical areas where they are outside. So now you can take uh, like with geraniums you can take cuttings now. And, and I coleus. Have, I'm going to do that with my coleus because I have one that's about oh, two, three feet tall. Sure. Sure. But you know, I have a coleus that I've been babying along. I bought it late in the year. It wasn't really all that big. It was probably in a quart size mm-hmm. container. And it was it was just right and I had it in the shade and had it in the shade. And I just thought these colors are so anemic on this plant. I know it's in a healthy pot. I know it's getting it enough needed water sun, and nutrients. I bet. It needed I put it up some like sun, actually. You know, 
know, that it, that's exactly right. And this one didn't come with a name or a label or anything. Oh. And I put it out so it was getting more sun. And all of a sudden, I started getting red in the leaves. And you said, wow. I said, oh, wow, you are a good-looking baby <laughs> after all. Yes, exactly. So <clears throat> sometimes this is give us a little extra time now, and we can experiment with things like that. The other thing is um, I have a lot of crabgrass in my lawn. Oh, so front. do I. <laughs> um, and, and I started trying to dig out and get all these plants out. That's not going to happen. But the, th- the most important, I was... Uh, I was at a, a meeting, and we had a lawn expert, and he said one of the most important things you can do right now, the soil is has dried out. It's so compacted. You have got to aerate it. So now is the time to do that? Now is the time to do that, and <clears throat> you, can, you can plant grass seed now, but you can't. It's not really a good time because if you're going to put down a pre-emergent in, in the, the spring... spring oh. To kill these weed seeds from your crabgrass, you're going to kill those seeds, too. But normally, <coughs> fall is the best time to uh, fertilize and to plant your seeds and things. But like you said, with those all those weeds, so what, what should you do then? I would, I, the weeds, I would do the, um, uh, well, I keep mowing, but I keep my mower at three to three and a half inches, okay. which he recommended. And then I would aerate, he also said to dethatch. If you, if you, if you've left your grass grow longer and you have more thatch, you want to get that off first and then aerate. And then he said, um, before you, what you could do is put down a good, if you have a good mulch, if, if you have a, compost pile I should say good compost um, if you have a compost pile spread that and that will go into these places where you've where you've taken out these. oh so it'll fill in those plugs where <clears throat> yes you've taken exactly. out with good, good to, keep, to help with compaction and things right and then in the spring you put down your pre-emergent and then after you've had that down to kill weed seeds then go back in and plant seeds so if you didn't have the the big weed problem which a lot of us do now you right. shouldn't be seeding this fall then no okay. if, if you had a small spot because it takes a lot of water and it depends on what you're planting too did you know that blue uh, that kentucky bluegrass can take from 14 to 21 days to germinate just no, think of that. I mean, that's that's gonna that's a long time. How about clover? Because I'm going to be replacing a lot of my grass with clover. Do clover seeds? Um, will they are they considered a weed? So, in terms of like when they spray spray for weeds and things, would that they be killed too? You know, I don't think that's that's not a broadleaf. I should I, check that out yeah, because yeah, I really don't know sure. the answer. Okay, yeah. that's something we need to to research. That yeah, we'll have to do that. There was something else we were going to research from last week, and I did that. <laughs> and, and you forgot. <laughs> And and found out what the answer was. Um, well, we'll just save it till next week. Okay. Well, that that is good too. I yes. wanted to say, you know how we were talking about earlier taking care of your trees and things. Yes. I just got a um, news alert from the um, Mankato Department of Public Safety about how trees can be dangerous if you don't take care of them. This happened this morning at two thirty in the morning. Uh, tree branch fell on an occupied tent in the Land of Memories Park. Of course, that's what's going on with that. Uh, yes. At 409 Amos Owens Lane, uh, officers found a four-year-old girl with life-threatening injuries and began life-saving me- measures, and she passed away. 
So um, oh other family occupants in the tent were unharmed. So, I mean, that just goes to show me. She was four? Four years old. Well, you know, they're camping because it's, the, yeah. it's the powwow. So they have yeah. that yeah. awesome, beautiful thing out there. I mean, that just it just yeah. makes me so sad. But that just goes to show you, you know, I, I remember when out at the lake house, I had this tree that, remember, it, it kind of yes. split and it was dying. And... Uh, we got a quote, and it was $3,000 to take that down. And it's like, well, do you do this? Do you spend that much money? Right. But you know what? If something like that happens, exactly. so we spent the money, and then right. I had some more. So it was like $3,500 to take all this down. Um, and, of course, in a park, that's a hard thing because it's a right. – so anyway, just our hearts go out you to know, those people. You <clears throat> know, this is not a good comparison, but um, my neighbor has um, a bunch of uh, maples. They're the soft maple. Oh, and that's why silver. you don't, don't plant weak trees like that. Yes, exactly. And so they get a big crown on them, and a lot of times they have smaller branches that you don't see. But we had so much uh, wind this summer, yes, and I was out, um, not under them, but on my side of the, the property line and a little ways away. And in this wind, this branch came down, and it missed me, of course. Oh. But, you know, if it had hit me, I um, I probably wouldn't be here doing this program now. Well, and that's the thing why we do talk, and the arborist I talked to at uh, a previous show talked about stop planting uh, some of the maples. Um, yeah. You know, I don't want to say, but especially things like silver maples, yes, um, other weak trees, and yes, they grow fast, and a lot of people want that instant, you know, right. foliage and everything, but sometimes... It's not worth it. So um, that's right, and it really isn't fair to plant a tree and think, "Well, we're only going to be here ten years, and we're going to move or something right. like that." You know, think of the next person coming along; they're going to have this huge expense. When we were looking at houses in Georgia, we looked at a house that was perfect, but it had eight big overgrown trees in the yard. That would have to be removed, or that's a terrible expense. Yeah, yep. we're not going to do that. But yeah. a lot of people, when they move in a house, don't <coughs> think of that because it's like, "Oh, look at these beautiful trees," versus. Sure. Sure. This might fall in the house someday. You know, I was going to mention the amount of rain. You know, I have a rain gauge and yes. I'm tracking rain. In the last two weeks, the, uh, a week ago, the rain we got was actually four tenths. Oh. Now, I went out and checked the rain gauge this morning. Two tenths. Okay. With all that hullabaloo we had last night with all the winds. The winds oh my gosh. I thought we were getting a tornado and it just howled when it, it was came through. Amazing, it yeah. didn't last very long, but um, my neighbor across the street, they have a silver maple. They have one of those dead branches that came down. Yeah. Um, so, you know, um, um, trees are wonderful, but make sure you're not creating a problem for future generations as Absolutely. well as yourself well barb thank you so much for coming on the show we will chat with you again next week all right thanks karen all right it is one minute past 10 and you are listening to a minnesota morning on the maverick at kmsu radio 89.7 fm in mankato and kmsk 91.3 fm in austin online at kmsu.org broadcasting from the campus of minnesota state university